Before I read our scripture, I do want to say a word of thanks and appreciation for John Bartholomew and Winky Boer, who are the first team at Riverside assisting today. All these other preachers and leaders that we have are off somewhere in the woods. I uh, hope they're having a good time, and I hope we'll keep them in our prayers as they make their way back home. But I am grateful for John and, and for Winky for your assistance, not only now, but also in the early service today. Now let me share with you some words of the scripture. It is the uh, lectionary passage for today from the 21st chapter of John's gospel. Let us listen for God's word. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, well, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast their net to the right side and now they were not able to haul in the nets because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes because he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the full uh, net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him and did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, feed my lambs. And a second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your your own belt and go to wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to them, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Since this is, uh, starts out as a story about fishing, I thought I'd start with a fishing story. But you all know Steve's the only one that can tell fishing stories. So I'll just leave it be. And This takes place right after the resurrection. It's, a number, it's another example of how the disciples really struggled with the news that Christ had been raised from the dead. Rather than being out there on the highways and byways of Judea telling the good news that the Lord had risen, the disciples had gone back to their boats, kind of like that the time they had spent with Christ had never happened. It was still just not real to them. How could their friend, who was dead for three days, now be alive? They were as lost as a ship without a rudder. And even the fishing was bad. They fished all night, says the writer of John's Gospel, and they caught absolutely nothing. And early the next morning, however, while they're still out there in the boat, they saw the risen Christ standing on the shore, but they didn't recognize him. And so he called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? No. Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, anyone who does any fishing at all will tell you that location is important when you're fishing. And today's fishermen have all this sophisticated fish finding equipment that tells them where to go, where the schools of fish are. But the disciples had no such device Still, what difference could it possibly make if they didn't move the boat, but only threw their nets to the other side? Maybe maybe if Jesus had pointed them to a nearby cove or had told them to work their way down the shore a few hundred yards, but the other side of the boat? But still, they did as he said. And when they did, there was so much they could hardly pull their nets up. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is telling them to fish on the other side of the boat had anything to do with the location of the fish. It had much more to do with who Jesus is. The disciple John understood that, for he said to Simon Peter, It is the Lord. Well, as soon as Simon Peter heard that, he jumped in the water. And he swam ashore. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing that full net full of fish. 
And when they reached the shore, they saw a charcoal fire and some fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, come have some breakfast. John says that none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew, they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus took a piece of bread, he took a piece of fish, he gave it to them, and they ate. And then having finished their breakfast, they had the first fireside chat ever recorded. Some of you remember all too well, during the days of the Second War, families gathering about the radio to listen to the president talk in a fireside chat, telling them what was on his heart and was on his mind. Well, I think that's what might have happened with this situation with these disciples and Jesus. And I think it might have gone something like this. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. But again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And John tells us that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And again, Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think it's kind of hard to escape the symbolism, intended or otherwise. You remember Peter was warming himself once by a charcoal fire in the high priest's courtyard when he denied three times that he even knew the Christ. But now, sitting around a charcoal fire where Christ has prepared their breakfast, the risen Lord asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You think Jesus might be giving Peter a chance to redeem himself? Twice when Peter says, Lord, you know I love you, he uses the form of to know that means intellectual knowledge of a fact. Now, this is a little technical stuff that preachers use, but you need to understand this. The third time Peter uses the word to know, he uses the word or the form of the word that means knowledge gained through experience. There's a difference, isn't there? You and I might know a fact because we read it in a book or we see it on television. It's something else to have lived it. In this encounter with Christ, we can see Peter's understanding of Christ move from his head to his heart, from an intellectual knowledge to an experiential knowledge. And scholars also point out that the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, that Jesus uses the word agape, God-like love. But the third time Jesus asked the question, he uses the the verb filio, a brotherly type love. And Peter replies each time with the verb filio, 
Now, surely Christ knew that this was Simon Peter that he was talking to, and Simon is, is and was a fallible man, just as all of us are. Was he capable of a godlike love? Are any of us? Certainly he could strive for it. That's all Christ ever asked of any of us, that we strive for agape, godlike love. Then when we arrive at filio, brotherly love, it will be genuine. But it's the first question that Christ asked that is most puzzling. The first time he asked Peter this, do you love me more than these? Now, is Jesus asking, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Well, that may be, for truly we are to love him above all else. Or is he asking, do you love me more dearly than the other disciples do? And here again, this interpretation is certainly possible. Jesus always expected more out of Peter than he did the others. Or is he asking, do you love me more than all of this fishing equipment? Meaning, do you love me more than your present lifestyle or your identity? Certainly this is valid as well. After all, Christ is asking Peter to give up everything else to follow him. But I think the most interesting part of the story is its climax. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Well, who are Christ's lambs and who are Christ's sheep? And what did Christ mean that Peter was to feed them? And besides, what does that have to do with me and you? This happened 2,000 and something years ago. Well, I think it has everything, or it certainly has something to do with the fact that Peter would go on to become the leader of the church at Rome, the most influential congregation in the early church. Peter was its first pastor, and he was the indisputable leader. Jesus is telling Peter to take care of the church. You know, Jesus often referred to people, especially his people, as sheep and himself as a shepherd. In John's gospel, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And in 1 Peter we read, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God. And in Acts, Paul tells the leaders of the church at Ephesus to keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock to shepherd the church of God. You see, the church is Christ's sheep. And when Jesus said, feed my sheep, he's not only speaking to Peter, he's also speaking to the universal church. This is the number one purpose of the church to feed Christ's sheep. Now, it may sound kind of elementary. It may sound somewhat unexciting and even boring, but it is the primary task of the church. Have you ever noticed how doing the work of the church is sometimes boring? The author Mark Allen Powell in his little book, Loving Jesus, tells of being at an outdoor rock festival. 
He met a young man there with pink hair and multiple body piercings. And the young man was waving his hands above his head and he was singing of his love for Jesus. And Powell went up and talked to this young man. And the young man said, I just love Jesus so much. Jesus is my life, man, my whole life. And Powell asked him, well, what church are you from? The young man had a puzzled look on his face and he said, no, man, I don't, I don't really do church, you know. He said, it's Jesus. That's what it's all about, just Jesus. Powell goes on to quote a professor who says that the number one reason church is unattractive to people in their teens and their 20s is that it's boring. In today's entertainment-saturated environment, being boring is a serious offense. Well, Powell in his book goes on to tell another encounter with a so-called Jesus freak out in Austin, Texas. And he says that he really envied the young man. He said he was just living in the joy of the Lord, reading his Bible every day and praying to Jesus and speaking in tongues and playing Christian rock on his stereo. And when Powell asked that young man about the church, the young man didn't write him off, but he did say that he hadn't been able to find a congregation where he felt like he fitted in. The church where I'm a member, he said, is like something out of the old black and white TV show. You know, Ozzy and Harriet or Leave it to Beaver. Everybody dresses up in suits and they play music that doesn't sound like anything on the radio and the preacher talks about things that have nothing to do with my life and I don't know, man, it's just boring. So he said he didn't go to church. Well, Powell asked him about finding a different church but the young man said he didn't know about denominations and he really didn't want to get caught up in all the different doctrines and all that stuff so he just didn't go anywhere he said maybe when I'm older I'll I'll get a little bit more out of it or maybe the church will you know lighten up a little bit and Powell asked him a powerful question do you love Jesus Well, yes, I do, the young man said. I love him with all of my heart. Would you die for him? Yes, I would. So you would die for him, but you won't be bored for him? Powell goes on to say to the young man, this is what I think the Lord wants you to do. I think that Jesus wants you to get out of your bed every Sunday morning to go to the Ozzie and Harriet church and just sit there for one hour being bored. Do it for him. Call it bearing your cross if you like, but just do it. You know, worship, Bible study, and all the little things that we do in church, they're not all that exciting, but we try to make them that way but they are all essential to feeding Christ's sheep. Of course, some of Christ's most prized sheep are outside of the church. In fact, most of the world's people fall under the lost sheep category. 
you know, the one sheep that the shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 in order to go and find. This is the primary task of the church. We need to reach people for Christ who have never even thought about Him. This is an amazing story. In the year 1271 A.D., Niccolo and Matteo Polo, the father and uncle of Marco Polo, visited the Kublai Khan, who was at the time the ruler of China and India and all of the Eastern world. Amazing story. The Kublai Khan, the leader of the Eastern world, was attracted to Christianity. And he said to the Polo brothers, you, you, you go and get your high priest and tell him on my behalf to send me a hundred men skilled in your religion and I shall be baptized. And when I am baptized, all of my barons and my great men will be baptized and their subjects will receive baptism too. And so there will be more Christians here than there are in all the other parts of the world. Astounding. This is where most of the world's people live today in China and India and the Orient and the Kublai Khan was offering to help Christianize all of it. But for 30 years, nothing was done in response to the Kublai Khan's request. And then only a handful of missionaries were sent. Too few, too late. Think about how different the world would be today if only the West had responded. You know, we're, we're such a parochial people at times. We ignore the world outside of our own little borders. Feed my sheep, the Lord says. That means take care of the church, but it also means going out to find those sheep outside of the flock, wherever they may be. And Christ seems to pay particular attention to those who are young. Note that his first instruction to Simon Peter was, feed my lambs. You know that most people who give their lives to Christ do so when they're young. We can never give too much emphasis to teaching boys and girls and being responsive to the needs of young people, maybe even going to the point that we do everything in our power to making worship less boring. Young people are at the very heart of what it means to be the church. Maybe that's what he meant when he said, feed my lamb. Jesus' disciples had gone back to their nets after his resurrection, and he needed to focus them again on the most important task, fishing for men and women and boys and girls. Well, let me close with a silly but a powerful story about a little boy who came to Sunday school late and his teacher knew that he was usually very prompt. And he asked the little boy, is there anything wrong? The boy replied, no, nothing was wrong. That he was going fishing, but his dad told him that he needed to go to church. 
The teacher was very impressed, and he asked the boy if his dad had explained to him why it was more important for him to go to church than to go fishing. And the little boy said, yes, he did. He said he didn't have enough bait for both of us. Well, somebody, somebody needs to explain to that father what Jesus meant when he said, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. Worship is important for grown-ups and for children. Sunday school is important for grown-ups and for children. Telling others about our church and inviting them to come to church with us is important. And when we do these seemingly small, insignificant things in Christ's name and at his command, the whole world will be changed. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Amen. Let us bring now to God our tithes and our offerings.